HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you from Le Pavillon at 1 Vanderbilt Avenue in New York City. It is Monday, September 13th, 2021, and it is our 300th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a legendary chef and restaurateur. By my location, you could probably guess who that is, but I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to pay homage. Yes, let's give back to those who have influenced us and the world, having made an everlasting impression on our careers and our lives. Let's show our love, appreciation, and respect for those people or things by celebrating them in whatever capacity feels right to us. In doing so, we will not only create new feel-good moments, but keep the memories alive. So let's pay tribute. That's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to have my guest with me. It is Danielle Balud. He is renowned chef and owner of several award-winning restaurants and the Feats and Fets Catering Company. Danielle's New York City restaurants include his flagship two Michelin star Danielle, a Relais Chateau member, and his latest where we're at, Le Pavillon, a seafood and vegetable-focused restaurant where nature meets architecture. Beyond Manhattan, Danielle has extended his culinary reach across the U.S. and around the world, from Miami to Washington, D.C., to Singapore, Montreal, Dubai, and beyond. His numerous accolades include James Beard Foundation Awards for Outstanding Restaurant, Outstanding Restaurateur, Best Chef, New York City, Outstanding Chef of the Year as well. Without further ado, hi, Danielle. Welcome welcome back to the show. Thank you, Sherry. And 
Thank you for having me on the 300 show. Congratulations. Thank you. It was, I mean, I'm, uh, you're the perfect, perfect, per perfect person to have um, to, to celebrate this, this. I can't believe I've done 300 Thank you. shows. And so. then uh, most of your show have been in New York, the 300 show. You travel the country sometime. Most, or you have, the, most you have talent coming to you. Most of them, New York and at Heritage Radio Studio mm -hmm. in Brooklyn, the pandemic kind of changed things up a little bit where I started doing my show remotely. Um, so the advantage of that is an opportunity to interview people anywhere around the world, but there's still something special about going out to the studio now, in Brooklyn, I which you that came because to. because I didn't get a chance to listen to the 300 of them, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, but it's a mix, and it's it's all behind-the-scenes talent and hospitality of course, from I, chefs and restaurateurs. I know very, I'm familiar yes. very much with your show, and I hear here and there the, the interview from colleagues. And uh, you just did one in Brooklyn at Francis. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. I did it with John Winterman. With John Winterman, who was um, an alum of uh, restaurant Daniel and Café Voulu. Yes, I've actually had a, several of your alum or, or, or mm -hmm. on my show from Carla Siegel to yes, Georgette of Farkas. Of course. Um, Brett Trousey. Yes. Yes, I'm, I've, I mean, a lot of, a lot of talent <laughs> has come from, from your kitchens mm -hmm. and working with you. Uh, so... Usually, I start out every show, and I say I, I ask my guest about to go back to their childhood and their background, and to bring to take us there. Mm -hmm. Now, we did a show in 2019 in March. It's episode 210, and I asked you that. And anyone who wants to go back um, can listen and hear because you did bring us back to Lyon and how you got started as a chef and Excellent. in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, so this show, I'm not going to ask that. I think today we should talk more about the present and this new beautiful restaurant we are in. And also this last year, I mean, since I've seen, since that show, a lot has changed. The world changed since 2019. So um, talk a little bit about uh, Le Pavillon. I hope I'm saying that right. Yes, Le Pavillon. Um, uh, because you were working on this project, um, I remember you were picking out chairs when Four we years ago, when yeah, we spoke. But, mm -hmm. um, so how how have things? I mean, you're now open. I've had a wonderful solo dining experience here. Uh -huh. um, how did things change with the pandemic and getting open? And now that you're open, how's it how's it going? Um, of course, uh, the pandemic was not in our projection. Neither uh, would I would, would have could imagine that when I follow all my employees on March 13, uh, 2020, uh, it was um, devastating. And I felt like, you know, I hope we all getting back together uh, by the summer. And that was in March. And uh, of course, we got back together during the summer, but that was only 10% at the time. And and very little activity at the time, but we we kept working on this project as well uh, while I was trying to reopen all my restaurants uh, at the same time. And um, this project came uh, about four years ago to us, and uh, that was before they demolished and started building the tower. But uh, the project itself of one Vanderbilt tower started 10 or 12 years ago. I think that was during the Bloomberg administration. He wanted to really revitalize uh, Midtown and 
give opportunity for developer to create some iconic building and also uh, some you know some new real estate that uh, are up to date also and and uh, this uh, opportunity to do this restaurant with SL Green, the developer was really really tempting because that was the first time that I was going in partnership with someone in New York. I'm, I was usually uh, owned and operated myself, and uh, we I think created a very unique restaurant in a in a in a very vibrant location. Uh, we are next to Grand Central. Uh, between Madison Avenue and Grand Central at one Vanderbilt and uh, the development really, um, I felt that making, the, the opportunity was to make the restaurant at the second floor. And I felt that that will be perfect because the ceilings are hundred foot, uh, 75 foot tall on one side and 35, very dramatic architecture on that corner of the building, uh, the south, East corner, and I felt that we could create something quite unique uh, for New York, and and uh, maybe the most uh, uh, New York restaurant uh, that could be, because you really have an amazing view of the Chrysler Grand Central Station, and uh, that that's quite iconic. And we didn't get slowed down too much during COVID, despite the restriction, uh, th we couldn't put trades together too much. So certain trade could do the job, but not all the trade together. So that did about a three months delay, which was not nothing in the scale of this uh, development. And um, and of course the restaurant took, uh, the building took four years to build, or three and a half years, and the restaurant took about uh, two and a half to that. Well, it's gorgeous. And the, yes, the, the soaring uh, ceilings and the height is, I've never seen something quite like that. And that was a yeah. great, uh, when we had to make a decision about the designer, uh, we had uh, four designer we chose, we wanted to select. And out of those four, uh, one, I knew well and I liked very much and I felt that could be maybe the, the most sensitive to the architecture of the space was Isai Weinfeld. And Isai is from uh, Rio de Janeiro, but he has done project here in New York. One of them is down in Chelsea called Jardim and other private residents and, and uh, other uh, club also, uh, private club. and, and uh, and uh, I think Isai really understood that uh, it was important not to fight the existing architecture, but to really integrate something that could live well into it. And that's how the design started to be, where we dedicated 50% of the space for a living garden. And, um, and I think people feel very comfortable. It is modern, it is classic, it is casual and it is chic at the same time. So there's all this combination. And then the menu, I wanted the opportunity to create a menu who was focusing on seafood and vegetable and the seafood being mostly from the long coast of the Atlantic. Uh, and of course we bring other things like salmon have to come from Alaska during the Alaskan season. 
uh, and, and certain fish from Europe during certain season. But uh, otherwise, uh, also the vegetable from at least the five states around New York, which I count five when you think of Vermont and Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and Virginia. And, right. Uh, but, um, and, and of course, uh, New Jersey is very important <laughs> and, uh, and uh, New York. But, um, and, and, and that has seasonality to it. It has definitely, um, we love to cook with technique. We love to cook with flavor. We, I mean, I love to cook French, but at the same time, it's always, to me, French cuisine has always been in reinvention and it's constantly in, in motion with its maybe heritage and its future. Yes. Well, anyone who wants to hear about my experience on episode 293, I talked about <laughs> my solo dining experience where I had your lobster and those oysters. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. Oyster Vanderbilt. Yes. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking to everyone and say that um, Vanderbilt, uh, the Commodore, they used to call it, uh, Vanderbilt built the station, Grand Central Station, and he built the oyster bar. And Vanderbilt was never had an oyster name after him. And Rockefeller had an oyster name after him and was very popular at the oyster bar. Uh-huh. And I felt that being so close to Grand Central Station, being in a building called One Vanderbilt and at the address of One Vanderbilt on Vanderbilt Avenue, um, Vanderbilt they served an oyster. So I created, we created an oysters with my team where uh, we wanted to do a warm oysters. And it is uh, actually very American in a way, um, but in a very classic way of an oyster, uh, oyster gratiné. And uh, on the bottom of the oyster, we have an oyster chowder, a classic oyster chowder that we we blend our potatoes and leeks and all that, so it, it creates a wonderful creamy sauce on the bottom and uh, of, of a good, great flavor of oysters and there's some garnish of leeks and potatoes. And, and then we have the poached oyster on top and then we have a crust of herb, uh, fins herb and seaweed and hazelnuts and butter. And, and so, it, and it's served with a spoon. And it's served with a spoon because it's not the kind of oyster you grab and you swirl in yeah. to your mouth. It's kind of something you enjoy, you know, spoon by spoon. Ah, it's so delicious, so delicious, like amazing. Um, talk. Oh, you talked about the the name of the, with the oysters. What about the name of the restaurant itself, Le uh, Pavillon? Because I know there was an original. I think from 1941. Actually, I was going mm-hmm. back with uh, our dear friend uh, Georgette Farkas and yes. talking a little bit about the history of that. But was that why did you decide to name the restaurant um, the same or af- after that restaurant? Well, you know, I didn't grow up in New York, but when I came to New York as a young chef, I met a lot of people who had either lived there or worked here since quite a long time, and even many French people as well. And uh, so I was always interested by the French history of dining in New York City, and who was the restaurant. And I heard about a restaurant called Coup de Fusil, and I heard about a restaurant uh, uh, named Le Colony, and 
uh, and of course the pavilion and also um, there was a restaurant at the Plaza Atene Hotel, which was not the Plaza Atene Hotel at the time. Uh, but but there was all these very interesting restaurants created in the in the in the forties and fifties and 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 sixties and and um, there was a restaurant who always right away when I arrived, I learned that that restaurant don't exist, but that restaurant was the greatest restaurant French restaurant in New York, and the name was Le Pavillon, and uh, the Metro D where I was working at the Westbury Hotel, uh, it was the Polo Lounge when I started in New York on 69 and Madison. That was the Westbury Hotel. And the restaurant, the Polo Lounge, the Metro D was William Mascarotti. And William Mascarotti was the Metro D at Le Pavillon in the 50s and 60s. And, and uh, of course, unconsciously, uh, I was not conscious really that when I named the restaurant here Le Pavillon, uh, that was not because of William, but I do remember the story he was telling me about that restaurant and the people who used to go there and Vanderbilt used to go there and um, uh, not Vanderbilt, yeah, the family, I mean the family, but you know, the the, the Mellon, the Rockefeller, the, all, all the, the, mm-hmm. the time, a, a period where they were uh, definitely big family in New York and they were all uh, going to this fancy restaurant and so the pavilion started because of the world fair in 1939 where a group of a large group of french came from restaurant drouin in paris and restaurant drouin was i guess a three star or two star restaurant but it was one of the finest restaurants in paris and they came and brought fine dining to america through the world fair and of course the, the war has started in europe and they didn't want to go back to Europe, those uh, French waiters and chefs and cooks and and managers and maitres And so they decided to stay in New York and they started to sprout restaurants everywhere. And one of them was Henri Soulet and he started Le Pavillon. So that was, like you say, maybe 41, 43. Uh, I don't have the exact date. Yeah, no, I, I had looked it up, and mm-hmm. um, it was 41. It 41. was from so it was 41 right to 66. The... And yes. also, uh, Jacques Pepin is, was apparently so, the very first employee. Maybe not the first, but Pierre Franet. Okay. Was one oh, right, right. Pierre Franet was uh, on the... Uh, on the, uh, on the sh- I mean, they all came with the same ship to New York at the time. And, uh, and Pierre Franet, who... You know, New Yorkers knew very well for a long time because he was he, he had a column on the New York Times. And when I was the over the years after the Plaza Atene, after the Polo Lounge, I went to the Plaza Atene, and I could hear story again about Le Pavillon. And then coming to the Cirque, I was entering this kind of family of restaurants which which came after Le Pavillon. And that was La Grenouille, and that was le, La Caravelle, La Côte Basque, Le Cirque, Le Cygne, Le Périgord. Capsuto Frère. Uh, <laughs> Capsuto Frère? Uh, yeah, but Capsuto a was later. a little different, right, it was right. downtown already, mm-hmm. a little bit. But, um, and, and those restaurants were very similar. They had a theme. They had a theme either that was the, the Chantilly was the Chateau of Chantilly. Uh, La Côte Basque was the, of course, the Côte Basque. Uh, La Caravelle was about those um, 
ships coming, uh, you know, the, the sailing ships. And, and Le Cirque was about animation and uh, this uh, sort of singerie of the, uh, uh, I guess it was the 18th century or, uh, uh, or 19th century. And, uh, and they all had the same kind of attitude, those restaurants. They all had the same kind of service. Mm -hmm. They all had the same kind of menu as well. When I came to Le Cirque, I felt the menu was really similar to many other. And I wanted to do a lot of change there. Uh, and I did quite a lot of change, and yet I respected the classic, which was important for me. But I always had this curiosity for New York classic French restaurant. And I think Le Pavillon was really the lighting rods of this generation of restaurant in New York, French restaurant. Yeah. Um, and that, I would say, lasted until the late 90s when La Caravelle closed, I would say. Uh, but um, so for me, the name was also synonymous of the meaning of it. Le Pavillon Francais at the World Fair, Le Pavillon in New York. But in France, Le Pavillon, it's often in a big avenue and it's, it's, a, it's, it's either a, a small building or it's in a, in a, on the side of a castle or a big park or something. And it's a small building where you only, it's created to do entertainment. It's created to, to, um, to welcome people, to entertain, to dine, to party. And here, the location of this restaurant in this very large building at One Vanderbilt, I always felt that that, that has its own pavilion here on the side. Yes, well, it's fabulous, and that the history is, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's... So, of course, we're in a different millennium, different century, but it's good to keep liveliness, uh, not liveliness, but it's good to stay connected with mm -hmm. the history of French dining in New York. Yes, yes, I agree. Let me ask you my question for my last guest. On episode 299, I had on Serbi Sani. She's the chef and owner of Tagmo, which is a new restaurant mm -hmm. in Manhattan's Seaport District featuring homestyle Indian cuisine and confections. I'm She's come. Oh, good. I'm working with her, actually, full Sweet. disclosure. Um, and she's in her soft opening right now and it's going to be launching on Friday. So um, would love to have you. Yeah, absolutely. I love Indian food. Oh, wonderful. So she would like to know, having had so many accomplishments through the years and truly being a legend, what's the one achievement or moment that has really stood out that has made you feel like you have arrived or nothing could be better than this? Well, you know, as a French, of course, is when I received the Légion d'honneur because that was sort of something that my family never had a chance to receive. And the meaning of it that, you know, you really have accomplished something very good for your country, and yet uh, it don't matter where you did it in the world, you represented, you, uh, you represented some uh, quality about your country, either it's in your uh, craft or it's in your uh, achievement. Uh, and uh, so that was, that was a good thing to receive that while I was in New York. But at the same time, uh, 
In New York, I receive a lot of accolades for the work I've done uh, over the year in New York. I was in Aspen this weekend, and I was saying to the new, uh, to the newly appointed uh, chef, the chef class, yes, yeah, the, the, which you were the you were the first, yes, yeah, the ten, the best, ten chef. best chefs from Food and Wine, and I was on the first uh, ten best chef list uh, in 1988, and I think uh, from that point to. Uh, you know, receiving lifetime achievement by the 50 best uh, in the world. Uh, that was also a, a great achievement. And of course, the but one of them who is uh, very, um, it's not discreet, but not too many people know. And yet, I know it's going to be there for a long time is my portrait in the subway. Oh, we talked about that on my <laughs> last show, actually. On 72nd Street and 2nd Avenue. Well, I don't go and see myself too often there, but I don't, and <laughs> I'm in the, in the mosaic of the subway on uh, 72nd. And uh, and so... It's um, very special. I mean, because it will, it will live there, I yeah, guess, for forever. Yeah, uh, for a long time. Long it, it will outlive me, I hope. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, that's something very unique because I've been on the Upper East Side, a citizen of the Upper East Side of New York for the last 40 years. Next year, that will be 40 years. So to have that there, I think to me that's um, an achievement and at the same time, an amusement. Yes, I mean it's- <laughs> Which it's is a... the story of my life in New York. It's... I've always been very entertained by New York, but also very, passionate and motivated by New York. Yes, and I mean, I was, I wanted to talk, I'm glad she asked that, because I, I figured my 300, 300th episode here, we should talk about milestones, and because that's this is one for me, and you've had so many, so I'm glad you, I'm so glad you touched on that, and that's, that's in, it is incredible, it's very, it's very cool. And I had read something that you were gonna be opening in Los Angeles, Yes. So um, is that something, um, what what uh, led you to make that decision? Because you've, you've hold off, held off on it for well, a while. Well, I always told Bob Gang Park that if he ever come to New York, I'll go to L.A. <laughs> so and Bob he came Gang to came New York, down to so. the Four Seasons. Uh, we've cut uh, down at the Four Seasons. And uh, I have a couple of colleagues. I want them to come. I mean, of course, Michael... Uh, McCarty came to New York quite a long time ago and was really, really mm -hmm. uh, welcome and loved here. And um, I think LA, I've always loved LA for a long time. I was in California in the early 80s when even in, uh, I would say my first trip to LA was 81 when I was in Washington DC. So uh, I always loved LA and uh, I did. I had a show called After Hours with Daniel Boulou. That was about 10 years ago, uh, 10, 12 years ago. And I did uh, 10 shows in New York and 10 shows in LA and also five in uh, New Orleans and five in Miami. And during that two weeks I spent in LA doing those shows, I had a chance to meet many colleagues and restaurateurs and young chefs and, and, and media. And that was a real fun, fun things to do. And I always felt like, oh, one day if I open a restaurant West Coast, that should be LA. 
Fabulous, but I look forward to it. So it's going to be a Café Bourou, and it's going to be on Beverly, Wilshire, and Palm, Palm Street, which is uh, a little bit um, on the on the Beverly, Wilshire Boulevard. Ah, fantastic. Later in the show, I have my solo dining experience. But give me a year for that one. Okay. I I will. I was in L.A. recently, and I'm going to talk about a place I recently went to yes. that's nearby, but we'll, we'll have oh, that for later. Oh, there's an amazing chef in L.A. Amazing. Yeah, the food scene's really, it's, oh, and, and fantastic. It's, it's fantastic. It's a wonderful city. Um, so before we take a break, what, just uh, give us a little um, recap or, or uh, like, what's what's the current status of your of your restaurants in New York City? How are they doing? How are you, how are you doing? I mean, the pandemic was, I know it was hard. I know. <laughs> I mean, it, has, it was very hard. For example, Café Boulou. During the pandemic, um, right after we closed for the pandemic, the Surrey Hotel went bankrupt. And the Surrey Hotel was a management company um, run by Danahan Group. And they were also a lander there. And there was a fight between the two. And there was an owner of the building. And the owner didn't accept any proposition from either side as, um, and I didn't see it coming that they were going bankrupt on me because Cafe Bouli was doing very well there. And, um, and bottom line, the owner of the building decided to sell the building and kick out the lander and the management company of the Surrey. And so I end up with uh, a, a shut down building and I had to leave the building. I mean, and, uh, and so we had to stop Café Bouli operation uh, totally because I would have reopened already otherwise. So we are looking for a new space on the Upper East Side, but we moved Café Bouli to the Berkshire at, uh, in Lenox, Massachusetts at the at the um, blunt tire, I don't know if you ever had a chance to go. I I haven't, but I've I've seen some photos from it, and I've read about it, it's and it wonderful. sounds so. We had the chance to at least wonderful. Uh, take Cafe Boulou in the countryside for the time being until yeah. we reopen Cafe Boulou in New York, and then uh, we reopen. So during the pandemic, of course, we tried to bring back staff. For me, it was very important, and the first thing we did was with the owner of uh, this building, S.L. Green, Mark Holliday, the CEO, he created a charity called Food First. And he said, Daniel, I want to help you reopen your first kitchen. And I want to make meals for New Yorkers and for first responders and uh, for food shelters and food uh, pantries. And I, he also wanted to make sure that every tenant he had all over the city in a S.L. Green portfolio building they could reopen their kitchen. And he really wanted to help them. He felt terrible for all his tenants. And uh, so we started this foundation together um, in uh, mid to late April. And to this day, we have served more than a million meals. And we and myself have dedicated meals to World Central Kitchen and also City Meal, where uh, downtown in my commissary kitchen, we have prepared all those meals. And uh, from there, we reopened Daniel, and we created Daniel Bulu Kitchen, and did the to-go business 
of course, and then expanded with Gold Belly nationally. So there was local and national. Uh, and we still do today take out from Danielle, which is something we've never done before. Yeah. <laughs> People, well. bicycle come in the front and pick up bags. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of fun. But, um, and, and from that, we reopened Barbury on the west side. But we had to wait until Lincoln Center come back to be able to reopen Budisud. Uh, we have reopened our epicerie on the Upper West Side at Broadway and 64, epicerie Boulou at uh, the Oculus, and we opened a brand new one on 42nd here at right. Vanderbilt also. Uh, we are also taking care of the amenity of the building on the third floor above Le Pavillon. So between Le Pavillon, the epicerie, the amenities, uh, reopening Danielle, of course, that was very important. And we did the sidewalk cafe. Uh, we created an amazing terrace with bungalows. I, I in saw the winter. it looks, I've been by there. Air it's conditioning fantastic. in the summer and all that. So yes. it has been, it has been a roller coaster. We opened a new restaurant in Dubai during the pandemic. And last year in November, we opened a new restaurant in the Bahamas, Cafe Boulou in the Bahamas, Brasserie Boulou in Dubai. Uh, we, of course, uh, kept always Pan Beach open. Uh, Canada was closed for a long time, so I'm going to Toronto this week to see my team now finally at Café Boulou there. Endless energy. Oh, yeah. I don't know how you do it, and that's I'm glad I'm glad your places are back and how so, you yeah, kept going. I mean, at DBB throw because of Broadway not being back, we haven't reopened. And same with Boulou Sud, we are reopening Boulou Sud in a week and a half. And that's because also Lincoln Center is coming back. So I think tourism, uh, entertainment, and yeah. uh, culture will come back. And I think uh, things, sport events, and all that, that you know, give the energy of New York to its fullest. Absolutely, I had a wonderful dinner at Barbaloo uh, over the summer, and. Um, I live in that near that neighborhood, so. Um, and I think, like many of my colleagues, we had to adjust. Maybe if the restaurant was open seven days a week before, maybe it's open less. Uh, maybe we don't do seven uh, seven lunch, seven dinner. Uh, like uh, restaurant Daniel, now we close. We decide to close on Monday rather than Sunday because we are kind of upper east side, and Sunday night is a very good night for the local, and also. Um, Cafe Bouli being closed up east side now, I think it it fill in the gap of uh, wanting to have dinner with Danielle on Sunday, and uh, we are opening lunch at Le Pavillon, but we are only opening Tuesday to to Friday for now. Uh, so it's all this adjustment that everything will come back to normal, of course, one day. But uh, until then, we have to make the best out of it. Yes, and you absolutely are. So. Um... Yeah, wishing you continued success with that. Thank On that you. note, let's take a little break. We'll come back. We'll play my speed round game, talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. 
With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is legendary chef and restaurateur Danielle Belude. We're on location at his latest New York City restaurant, Le Pavillon, and it's time for my speed round game, which you played once before, but you're going to, if you're up for it, play it again. Let's go, Sherry. <laughs> okay. Here we go. I'm going to name a couple things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. That's kind of how chocolate. it goes. Okay. Perfect. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Eat in at home. Indoor dining or alfresco dining? Indoor dining. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte, unless the chef wants to cook for me and I'm in the mood for it. <laughs> okay, I hear you. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Ha. Huh. <laughs> we'll see where the future takes us, but I think tipping is good for now. Okay. S sea scallops in black tie or papillette of sea bass? Both. Ah. They were, I, I saw there were some dishes you did back in the day at Lisser and other places And that's as well. what I'm telling my chef. You know, we have to create new classic. And those are the two classic that have outlived every decade. And I think the Oyster Vanderbilt at the Pavillon will be one of them. That's what I was thinking when you were just saying that. Um, I would, yes. I mean, for me, for me it is. Mm -hmm. Me too. <laughs> okay, I have a couple more. I have uh, Madeleines or Cronuts. Madeleine. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. In Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. Fabulous. And for people who don't realize why I asked about cronuts, because Dominique Ansel. Of course. I had met him. <laughs> I met him when he was he was your pastry chef. Mm -hmm. So, um, and he's he's the inventor of. He's wonderful. The cronut is done very well. Um, fabulous. It was great. Okay, so for industry news, uh, I picked out an article in the New York Times that came out last week, and it was called How Eating Has Changed from the Menu to the Tip, Early Bird Dinners, Sturdier Pizzas, Noisier Streets. The pandemic has brought a host of new developments that could last a while, and this was by the New York Times Food Desk. So there was a lot in this. I don't, I don't know if you had, were able to see this piece um, but you know there was there were a few things that I mean I've I've observed this as well. But like the new dinner hour, they're talking about how people are now dining or wanting to dine it early at five thirty yes. versus oh. it used to not we be very cool. We opened the bar at four thirty. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. So that was that was a change. They had solo dining in this actually. They had tables for one. They said that increased. Um, they talked about the yurts being repurposed. I mean the ones you did. 
the outdoor dining you have at Danielle. I mean, they're like I have not stunning. decided where we're going to put them yet, but we have to see. <laughs> maybe, maybe in Cooney Island. <laughs> Well, there, yeah. I mean, there. It's I think like I like them in Coney Island. There, <laughs> perfect for the beach. So funny. I get maybe you need to open another place and just um, it's yeah. it's just all all those. I'm gonna call cabanas. it cabanas. Yeah, they're they're. I mean, I haven't been in one, but from what I've seen, oh, that's it's like fantastic. I wanna kind of wanna live in it now. It has music. It has a fan. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. So we'll see. There were a lot of changes. I mean, this article was was full of stuff. It talked about the arrival for the burger, which has come about. The fried chicken sandwich is now popular. Mm-hmm. Um, about uh, QR menus lasting. I mean, are you doing? You're, are, of course, you're doing the QR, Yeah. No, we no. Um, Not here. You no, have it here? at the pavilion, I yeah. don't have it. No, but you because had, I felt that you know. It's okay when you go to a casual restaurant and all that, but I don't know, in a fine dining restaurant, QR code is not the way to go. Yeah. I think customers have gotten used to it. We have to go back to, you know, I mean, if you can touch the door handle, I think you can touch the menu. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you on that. And and actually, I'll note... And we make sure that we take measure of cleanliness and safetyness as well. Yes. And today actually is the the day of the, the mandate of uh, people being required to have vaccines to dine in restaurants in New York City is mm-hmm. is um, official today. Yeah. The first day, of but school. we have been asking already people yeah. for quite a while. Yes, um, I've I mean I've been finding that as well. But um, yeah, so I mean it's interesting to see you know from changes that have happened, what's going to last. But um, if people, I know there's certain things we want that to go away. I mean, of course wearing masks for our staff. I think it's a very good thing for our service or, or everywhere. But at the same time, you know, life was better without it. Yeah, well, I mean... Life is safer with it now, <laughs> but life was better without it. Yeah, it's like and you take least, stuff for granted. At least we see that when you're in the street, you don't feel as vulnerable because you're not going to catch it in the air. It's not like it's... The density of the virus is not all over you. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so at least in the street, you don't have to wear your mask everywhere. As soon as you have a little bit of freedom of walking yeah. in the street. <laughs> Today, I walk like, I don't know, like 30 block or something. <laughs> it's so, yeah, I love walking in the city and the weather has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much. Uh, so, yeah, well... For, so that's industry news. So I'm going to quickly do my solo dining experience this week. So as I said, I was out in Los Angeles, and I went to Biciclet Bistro. I don't know if you've heard of Biciclet? this. Biciclet? Biciclet, like mm-hmm. bicycle. Bicycle, mm-hmm. Biciclet. Yeah, I, was, I think because I... I've not been yet. Fun? It was It was wonderful. It was ve- it's brand new. Yes. Um, so here's the here's the rundown. The location, nine five seven five West Pico Boulevard, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. California. It's in Beverly Wood, and I was thinking it's near it's nearish where you're opening. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm on that. The concept is a new Parisian inspired restaurant featuring the best of Paris, the best of Paris's iconic bistro culture and California's fresh ingredients. The owners are chefs Walter and Marguerite. 
Manske? Of course, Manske. Yeah, Walter is very talented, and his wife too. I figured you knew them, and because they, they have several yeah. restaurants, including Republique, which I have been to before. Of course, now I've heard, I've heard of their bistro. Yeah, wonderful, very. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. I know Walter for ever, and um, of course he has also. Uh, 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 there's a Petty Cash Taqueria is one of their places, mm-hmm. but. So why did I go? Well, because I'm a fan of Republic. This is a new opening. Republic, and of course, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my experience. Um, I had had I had been uh, by the beach over in Venice earlier, and I had an early dinner over at Felix, which I'd been to before. Um, and I it got late, and I'm like, I'm gonna go check out another place. So this was actually my second dinner of the evening. Um, I went in. It was it was late. It was maybe around 9:30 as a walk in. Uh, there weren't any seats at the bar when I first walked in. There were, it was pretty busy, but the maitre d' was lovely. He told me it was opening up. People were going to the dining room to eat. So I waited. I about- think that they have an onion soup gratiné for Los Angeles. That's good. Oh, I love that you're <laughs> looking it up. I didn't have that, um, but I did get a seat at the bar, and I had a fabulous time. I got, as part of my meal, I got the caramelized onion tart tatine. Uh-huh. Have you, love d- it. If, you're, mm-hmm. if you're scrolling through your... Look yes. for a picture of that because it's gorgeous. I also got one escargot, which is burgundy escargot and croute. It was so cute, yeah. Danielle. Mm-hmm. It was like served in this like individual little yeah, container. Yes, container. Yes, yes. Yeah, and yeah, I absolutely. love that you can just get one because uh-huh. I was trying to taste lots of things. Um, I got the Liberty Farm duck breast as the main. Sweet. And I also got a fig tart because I was sitting. So I was sitting at the bar and they have an open kitchen. And right next to me, yes, that's what I got. People, go go look at this dish online, the onion tart. It's, it's uh, gorgeous. And the desserts for the restaurant were laying on the counter literally next to me. And so I had to get desserts. So I got a fig tart at the end. And it was all fantastic. Um, I would recommend it. The ambiance, it's like a warm, intimate Parisian-like bistro. Again, it has an open kitchen, has a lot of dark woods and mosaic tiles on the floor. Um, really good energy. I'd say it's perfect for dining solo at the bar or in the dining room with friends. Uh, interesting tidbit. So they're going to be opening a bicyclette uh, restaurant upstairs. I think it's going to be a little fancier. And there's a little bit of a French, uh, mini French movement, I guess, happening in Los Angeles. I remember mm-hmm. last time when I was there a couple of years ago, I went to uh, Dave Baron's uh, Pajoli. Oui. Mm-hmm. Yes, which was which was wonderful. No, but that's LA has always been very very uh, uh, sort of francophile in their restaurants, and uh, you know, going back to the time of Michel Richard and Laurangerie and uh, yes, but and I, I don't I don't know I get the but not compared to New York I don't know especially now like the more modern French restaurants, I don't think they've had as many openings, which is why. Yes, maybe not. Uh, you know, the days of Ma Maison and Lingerie and all that uh, definitely passed. Uh. Right, right. So, interest, um, personal fun fact, um, as I mentioned, I went to Republic last time I was in L.A. a couple of years ago, and also this is my second dinner. And I'll give a shout-out to some other places I went on this trip. I went to Found Oyster. I went to Damien Cougar, 
uh, Courage Bagels. I keep saying Cougar Bagels, but it's Courage Bagels. Uh, the Brothers Sushi, Girl and Goat just opened a location there. I had a lot of amazing meals. I went back to uh, Jugusta, which I love. Um, and I hit up the Koji truck too. So. Oh, cool. You did a lot. Yeah. I always, I always I do need a your lot. List. I need your list. I will you, give you my list. Your LA list. Yes. Downtown was a little more challenging during COVID. But, uh, yeah, I stayed back. downtown this time. I stayed mm-hmm. at the Hoxton Hotel, mm-hmm. um, which was which I had a really nice experience. But yeah, um, Did it was you great. go to the Bloor? Uh, was it open, the, the museum? I didn't. I've been there, but no, I didn't go this trip. Yeah, yeah. I basically went, lived large and rented a, a really nice convertible and drove around wow, <laughs> and cool. checked out lots of restaurants and cool. saw the sunset on the beach and, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it was a the good LA, trip. The LA vibe. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. So the cost of this meal was $78. That's not including tax gratuity or in LA, all the, I always notice on the bills, they have a, a health charge. It was oh, yeah? a 4% health charge. So they goes to, I think, and health insurance for, for what? For it doesn't, it just says it's contribute, uh, contribution to the employee's health care. And I don't really, mm-hmm. I, I saw it on several menus, different percentages. Um, I see. Yeah, uh, it's interesting, yeah, but they, they do do that in California. Have insurance to their employees there, so they yeah. are creating a, a way to be able to raise enough money for it. Yeah, so. I mean, I think LA, yeah, the prices are reasonable still. Yeah, I mean. I think across the board, everything has gone up as it should be, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I know. Uh, yeah. So... We know, we know then. <laughs> gas went up. I was talking to somebody who is importing a lot of things from Europe, and the the cargo the cargo transportations by boat went up 400%. Oh, wow. So chairs or any furnitures or things like that. It's huge. And, you know, our restaurant business, if we went up by 20%, not even, it's not even there. So there is disparity. Yes, yes, <laughs> and we I need know. To, we need to have, you know, I think it's going to be soon that restaurant will have to raise their price and do something because everything costs so much. Yeah, well, we're seeing that, I mean... I know chefs and restaurants have been talking about that for a while, and mm-hmm. I think the change is coming. And um, oh, otherwise, it'd be yeah. impossible to be in business. Yeah. That's, so. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll and my see. last. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh no! I was just uh, just to wrap that up. Anyone can um, check out. Go to their website, uh, com and they're also on Instagram at. Bichiclet.la. So that's that. But yeah, um, I look forward to getting back to LA, checking out your place. Maybe it will be, we'll see if it's open next time I visit. But you're at least um, a year, year and a half. Okay. So. Okay. Stay tuned. <laughs> for the time being, right now at Daniel, Restaurant Daniel, we're in full renovation because that was supposed to happen in 19. And we didn't have a chance to be able to do the front of the house. We did the kitchen, I changed the stove and all that. And Daniel is going to be celebrating 30 years very soon. Oh, wow. And, uh, Talk about milestones. Yeah, and of those, there's about 24, 25 at 65th Street. 
and Park Avenue. And so we are doing a renovation right now, and the bar will be in uh, collaboration, in partnership with Lalique, the, the glassware uh, company. And uh, that's quite special. And then we have redone the entire dining room as well. And so Danielle will be a brand new restaurant. Uh, that was every, that, that's going to be the third um, sort of uh, renovation as we did that every 10, 12 years. Uh, and so it's exciting. We are opening uh, at the end of this week. Oh, so soon. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad you Come and have a drink. Oh, yeah. Sit down at the bar and see I us. would love to. I would love to. Um, I don't, I'm thinking, I don't, I know you're, I don't know how you manage your time between all these places floating around, but I'm sure you're going to be there when I go by. You seem to be everywhere all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's, that's, that's very exciting. I, would def- I definitely would love to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... It's time for the final question. So my next guests are chef and founder Omar Tate and his wife and business partner, Chef Sibyl St. Odd Tate. They're of Honeysuckle, which is a food-focused community center in their neighborhood in West Philadelphia. Um, Omar founded Honeysuckle in 2017. It has received a lot of um, critical acclaim. He's actually, he was Esquire's magazine's chef of the year in 2020 and he was on times 100 next 2021 list and i recently went up he was a chef in residence at stone barns which they've been doing of course so i was able to meet him there and Uh so and and i met his wife too uh so danielle can you please ask a question for omar and yes of course if i can ask them a question yes anything absolutely is that um um, I mean, I, I, I want to wish them uh, a lot of success. And what's very important for me is that, um, I don't know if that is a question or an advice, but I think mentoring, mentoring people, mentoring young people, helping uh, young people enter our business and learn about it and be able to... Um, and, and be able to be inspired and, you know, continue in our footstep, I think it's very important. Um, so my question is, would you join us in Mentor, our board uh, of uh, Mentor, uh, who is a foundation we have created with Thomas Keller, myself, Jerome Bocuse. At the beginning, it was to support the American team for the Bocuse Mm Door, but then we grew to really go into the future of mentorship. And we will welcome him. I will ask, I I mean, I think it would be wonderful for him to get involved with that and the work that you do. And yes, you're, you've you've mentored. Because we continue to expand our reach and our goodwill and our support to Young Chef. Fabulous. and young restaurateur and young, uh, you know, anybody in this industry who is interested to um, continue to grow with the, with the best of this industry. And that best don't mean it has to be the finest. It can be very casual, but the best at it. Yes. Well, it's fantastic. You are, uh, I don't even have words for for 
you being I, uh, the things that you've accomplished and your your I don't know your legacy in this industry. You're you're just you're so admired, not just by me, just across the board, because you Thank do you. Every, you do everything you do, and as I said, you seem to be everywhere all the time. <sighs> endless en energy and I'm very honored to have this opportunity to speak with you again and thank you Sharon. on my 300th episode and congratulations for you know keeping our industry in a, in a very positive light and 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 also helping every one of us having the chance to have a chat with you that's fantastic oh thank you I mean it's been a it's an honor and privilege to have the opportunity to talk with you and to lots to chefs in the industry and doing yeah like you know I interviewed Thomas Keller like of that course. was like you know and our industry needs people amazing. like you and you are doing an amazing work because uh, uh, you are really uh, open to any kind of talent uh, in a way. It's, it's not like you are interested by one particular corner of the industry. You look at it as with a wider lens and that's, I think it's fantastic. Yes, thank you. I like covering all of the industry, all mm -hmm. in the industry. Mm -hmm. and, and actually this last year with the pandemic, it felt, I, I, it brought a different importance to me. I felt of, of doing my show, being able to get stories out there, and and try to help. You know, um, you kind of feel like, what can what can I do to help? Very much, and I think it has been admirable from so many chefs. The work was been done to help the community, to help. Uh, you know, each one of us have worked in our own city, and uh, done a lot of work to during this difficult time, either to help the family of our staff or the community uh, of our city. And uh, you have helped us, uh, you know, support that. So. Well, thank you. We'll see. I'm, I'm keeping going. I don't know how many shows I'm going to, if there's going to well, be I'm, an uh, end, but I don't know how many restaurants for you will be an end. I am uh, looking forward to be <laughs> in many more. <laughs> Awesome. We'll see. We'll, 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 we'll have to plan that. Right. So, absolutely. Thank you so much. Congratulations on everything. And I will see you at Danielle and your other places. My guest today has been Danielle Ballou, legendary chef and restaurateur. To learn more about him and all of his restaurants and projects, go to DanielleBalou.com and follow him on Instagram at Danielle Ballou. And also go back and check out our episode 210 on Heritage Radio Network. It's in the archives, and um, I listened, actually, I just listened back, and it was like, it's a good show. <laughs> um, so check that out. Follow me on Instagram at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. And as I said, and all of my listeners know all of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Kevin, and thanks again to Danielle, and thanks to Claudia and Jessica. I'm Sherry Bayer. That's a wrap for 300 shows. Crazy. What a milestone. I'm going to be back next week with 301 with Omar and Sib Ill, so I hope you tune in then. And thanks, as always, for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Bye. Congratulations, <laughs> Cherry. Thank you, Danielle.
All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.